Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is the third Sunday of Advent. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who see how your people faithfully await the feast of the Lord's Nativity. Enable us, we pray, to attain the joys of so great a salvation, and to celebrate them always with solemn worship and glad rejoicing. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord has been given to me, for the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up hearts that are broken, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to those in prison, to proclaim a year of favour from the Lord. I exult for joy in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me in the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in the cloak of integrity, like a bridegroom wearing his wreath, like a bride adorned in her jewels. For as the earth makes fresh things grow, as a garden makes seeds spring up, so will the Lord make both integrity and praise spring up in the sight of the nations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My soul rejoices in my God. My soul rejoices in my God. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. He looks on his servant in her nothingness. Henceforth, all ages will call me blessed. My soul rejoices in my God. The Almighty works marvels for me, holy his name. His mercy is from age to age on those who fear him. My soul rejoices in my God. He fills the starving with good things, sends the rich away empty. He protects Israel his servant, remembering his mercy. My soul rejoices in my God. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. Be happy at all times, pray constantly, and for all things give thanks to God, because this is what God expects you to do in Christ Jesus. Never try to suppress the Spirit or treat the gift of prophecy with contempt. Think before you do anything. Hold on to what is good and avoid every form of evil. May the God of peace make you perfect and holy, and may you all be kept safe and blameless, spirit, soul, and body, for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has called you, and he will not fail you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. A man came, sent by God. His name was John. He came as a witness, as a witness to speak for the light, so that everyone might believe through him. He was not the light, only a witness to speak for the light. This is how John appeared as a witness. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He not only declared, but declared quite openly, I am not the Christ. Well, then they asked, 
Are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We must take back an answer to those who sent us. What have you to say about yourself? So John said, I am, as Isaiah prophesied, a voice that cries in the wilderness, Make a straight way for the Lord. Now these men had been sent by the Pharisees, and they put this further question to him, Why are you baptizing if you are not the Christ and not Elijah and not the prophet? John replied, I baptize with water, but there stands among you, unknown to you, the one who is coming after me, and I am not fit to undo his sandal strap. This happened at Bethany, on the far side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The first reading which we have today from the prophet Isaiah is um, a pretty well-known passage. Um, Well-known probably because um, it's taken up into the Gospels uh, a little bit later on. But as with all of these readings from Isaiah that we've been having during the Advent season, it's really important to have a sense of the context of the readings so that um, you know we know what it is that Isaiah is firstly referring to, to the people that he's writing. But secondly that we can start to see how that historical context finds its fulfilment in Christ. Because not only do we then see the fulfilment of prophecy, but it also shines a light on what Christ has come to do. So at the risk of boring you to tears, if you know all of this, um, let me just reiterate what's going on here in the first reading. Now, you may remember that Isaiah is the prophet of the exile. The Babylonians conquered the kingdom of Judah around about 590 BC. Uh, And when they captured Jerusalem, they burned the temple down to the ground and took the Jewish leaders and all of the best and brightest into captive exile in Babylon. Now, there's really no comparison that we modern Australians can make to try to understand the utter devastation that came with such a resounding defeat by the Babylonians. I mean, it was a kind of genocide that sought to destroy the Jewish culture and religion, and it was certainly a brutal time. And the exile lasted for about... 70-odd years. This is where the prophet Isaiah comes in at this point. This is where our first reading comes from. This reading is proclaimed to those Jews in exile. They've been held captive in slavery for like 75 years in a foreign land. And a whole generation has passed in captivity. And now the prophet proclaims, The Spirit of the Lord has been given to me, for the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up hearts that are broken, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to those in prison, to proclaim a year of favour from the Lord. This good news that the prophet has come to bring is for the Jews who are held captive. The prophet is proclaiming liberty to these captives, freedom to these people who are held in exile. What the prophet is declaring is a whole new chapter in the history of Israel, that they'll no longer be ruled by an occupying force, and where they will be able to rebuild the temple again and worship God once again, and and the one who saved them will come and save them again. It's a new dawn for the kingdom of Judah. But while these words of the prophet Isaiah are certainly addressed to those in exile, look, their meaning hasn't been exhausted. Because the fullness of this prophecy 
isn't just to be found in the release of the captive Jews from Babylon. They understood that this text applied also to the Messiah who was coming. As you know, in Hebrew, the word Messiah means the anointed one. Um, And that word Messiah is rendered as Christ in Greek. And, you know, listen again to the start of this reading. The Lord has anointed me. Well, the one who is anointed is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. And so this prophecy isn't exhausted simply in what was accomplished for the Jews in exile in Babylon, but that it comes to its fulfillment in the anointed one, the one who is expected, the one for whom Israel is waiting, the Messiah, the Christ. And so you kind of get this double meaning going on, that on the one hand, Isaiah is going, all right, guys, we're getting out of Babylon. This is going to be great. But there's something even greater to wait for from God. The promise is even bigger than that. So these words are actually quite familiar. Because Luke tells us that this is what Jesus reads when he visits the synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth. I mean, you can imagine the scene, right? Jesus the carpenter gets up and unrolls the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and finds this bit. The spirit of the Lord has been given to me, for the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up hearts that are broken, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to those in prison, to proclaim a year of favour from the Lord. And it says in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus handed the scroll back to the assistant of the synagogue, and he sat down, and that all eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And it's funny, because you can imagine that this this reading from the prophet Isaiah must have been read a bunch of times in the synagogue by a bunch of different people. And yet, when Jesus does it this time, there's something different. This has got the character of fulfillment about it. And how jarring it must have been, you know? Like, I know Jesus. I, I, I grew up with him. I went to school with him. Like, the carpenter fixed my plough last month. But here's the thing, who the Nazarenes think that their fellow countryman is doesn't touch the sides of who he really is. They know him as the son of Joseph and Mary, but in actual fact, he's the son of the father. And he hasn't been sent to fix your plough. He's been sent to fix the world. He's been sent to the poor, to those with broken hearts, to the captive, to those in prison. So this really sets up a moment of comparison, right? In the times of the prophet Isaiah, the return from exile ushered in a whole new era where the kingdom of Judah was no longer ruled by the king of Babylon, but by God. And, you know, this period was to usher in a new time of peace and love and and the people could once again offer the sacrifices that were pleasing to God. And by rebuilding the temple, they would once again have the Lord in their midst. But... You know, the full flourishing of this promise for freedom for captives and the full flourishing of the good news for the poor, this is found in Jesus, in the Anointed One. And this is what John the Baptist is pointing out in the Gospel today. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one. But there is one who is coming after me, and he will give you the baptism you need, not me. I'm not even fit to undo the strap of his sandal. The prisoners that Christ has come to release are us. 
And the captivity that Jesus has come to save us from isn't from Babylon, but sin and death. These are the two forces that bind us in a slavery for which we weren't created. We weren't created to be driven by a compulsion and disordered tendency to sin. We weren't created so that our lives would end in the definite frustration of death and the grave. No, this is the freedom that the Messiah proclaims. Freedom from sin through grace and baptism. And a freedom from death by sharing in the resurrection of Jesus. All eyes in the synagogue were on Jesus when he read this prophecy from Isaiah. And the excitement and the anticipation with which the exiled Jews waited for their liberation is exactly the kind of excitement and anticipation with which we should be waiting for the coming of Christ. Because we're still waiting for the full flourishing of the promise of God and the mission of the Messiah and of the Christ, the one who will finally put an end to sin and to death. And it's when Christ comes again that the fullness of this freedom will be given to us. And it's in this final victory of the Christ that our captivity will be annulled. And so, you know, the season of Advent heightens our expectation for this moment. And the voice of John the Baptist again cries out in this wilderness to prepare for the definitive victory of Jesus, the Anointed One. That we should wait with anticipation and prepare ourselves with the excitement of the Jews who were preparing to return to their homeland after a long and painful exile in Babylon. Now here's the thing, all of this isn't to give you a theology or a script. Now here's the thing, all of this isn't to give a theology or a scripture lesson, but to acknowledge that we're the ones who are waiting. And not just in the humility of the stable in Bethlehem, but in the final definitive coming of Christ at the end of time, when finally the reign of the Babylonians of sin and death will be crushed, when Christ will proclaim liberty to us captives, freedom to those in the prison of death. I don't know, maybe over these last few months with uh, you know, the strangeness of the coronavirus and our own little lockdowns, um, that we've had something of the experience of captivity. We've had our freedom constrained. And some of us, perhaps many of us, have felt the press of fear and threat. But I mean, even when you take out the coronavirus, gee, aren't these familiar expressions to us? When we pause and consider our own lives, and especially, you know, in those moments when we've lost loved ones, that moment when captivity really presses upon us, when we've been constrained into a circumstance in life which we really haven't wanted to accept. I didn't want to say goodbye to this person. I didn't want to lose their presence. That those are the moments when we truly recognize that we stand in need of saving from our captivity. To truly understand the coming of the Messiah, we need to recognize that we are the poor to whom he has been sent. Ours are the hearts that he's been sent to bind because they're broken. That we are the captives, we are those in prison. And that what is being proclaimed is a year of favor from the Lord for us. I mean, just like those people in the synagogue in Nazareth that, you know, 
We need to allow our expectations of who Jesus is to be confounded. To let him be greater than we even think that he is. He's more than the carpenter. And especially this Advent, our eyes need to be fixed on him. This needs to awaken within us that great Advent cry. Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.